Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. a lot of unsolicited pitches for guests for this podcast. The majority of the time, they make absolutely no sense. And I have to stop myself from replying with a lesson on how to pitch. Instead, I generally just hit the delete button. But that didn't happen with today's guest, Erica Sarit, the founder and creative director of Sarit Creative. Erica is a brand marketer who specializes in strategic storytelling in the home brands industry. Now, what immediately pulled me in when I started to do my research were these words in bold print on her website, get your story straight. Sound familiar? Well, it should. Getting your personal brand story straight is the name of the workbook I wrote that is available on Amazon. How's that for a little shameless plug before we get started? Anyway, today's conversation goes beyond getting your story straight into a deep dive into how Erica uses that philosophy as a starting point when she's working with designers in the home brands industry. I hope you'll enjoy the episode. Okay, well, welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thank you, Joanne. I'm so excited to be here and I really think we're going to have a great conversation. I I totally agree. When I started to read on your background, I was like, wow, like... I think we're kindred spirits here. So, but before we get into any of that and what you do, um, can you, I always like to ask my guests where you're from. So can you tell me where are you from? Sure. I am from the home of home furnishings. (laughs) So High Point, North Carolina is a city in almost the dead center of North Carolina. If you were to go straight down from New York, you would run through it um, on your way to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) But in fact, that was kind of a strategic place for it because it's right in the middle of a tremendous amount of woods. There was a kind of a railroad network already in place that allowed the furniture industry. um, So making of not just like upholstery, like sofas and seating, Mm -hmm. but case goods, shelving and things like that all started in North Carolina. And so High Point has this biannual furniture, it's furniture market is what they call it, High Point Furniture Market. It's the world's largest trade home furnishings show in the world, Um, certainly the biggest in the US. And um, the little town of High Point, which is, I think, pushing maybe close to 100,000 people now. When I was growing up, it was much smaller. Um, it it hosts over 80,000 80, people twice per wow. year who come like exhibitors and buyers and then all of the sort of ancillary industries that support home furnishings. And it's a $7 billion kind of asset to the North Carolina economy. So it's a huge thing. It's a really... Um, it's a really exciting time of the year. We just finished one show. It happens in April and October. So I grew up in this industry, sort of surrounded by showrooms, um, surrounded by people in the design industry, people in furniture, the furniture industry. Um, so that's sort of what's led to my career today. And um, and now I'm, I'm fortunate enough to live in two Souths. So I live, I divide my time between High Point um, a couple times per year for this um, to see clients and you know participate in industry events, and then I live also in the south of France in Marseille. 
So it's an exciting back and forth, which was made possible by COVID. Thankfully, one of those kind of things that came out of, you know, came out of that experience that turned out to be a great bonus. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but um, (laughs) now we have another commonality because I'm actually going to France and I'm going to be in the South of France at the end of June for two weeks. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm going to be in Paris and then in Nice, and then I'm on this little writing retreat in Southwest France near Toulouse, which I've never been to. So we will have to uh, do a sidebar on that. Um, So we kind of keep this thing on track because I think this (laughs) thing could really get off track pretty quickly. (laughs) Well, how exciting. You'll have a blast. Oh, I can't. I I'm I think that's why when I saw your last name, I thought, is it Sorit or Surit? Sorry. <laughs> because I've been practicing my French and Duolingo, which I, I now know why it's so successful. Okay. <laughs> so you started in interior design and then you transitioned into brand marketing. Can you talk about how that came to be? Sure. So I worked for 10 years, the first 10 years of my career as an interior designer. I worked all around the world. I did mostly commercial and hospitality and cultural work. So I worked with museums. Um, And one of the firms that I worked for um, in China, in fact, for for many years and then back into New York, I I worked for a while. But the firm that I worked for sort of um, put exhibition design on the map as far as it becoming more immersive and experiential and less about, you know, didactic presentations of history. So like a timeline will say, you know, from 1900 to 1910, this thing happened. And, you know, you can take in, as a person in a museum, you can mm-hmm. take in information that way and you can learn by reading. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, museums will show dioramas that kind of recreate a visual history. But until this particular firm had created the this one landmark museum, the Holocaust Museum. Um, Yeah, they put this idea of sort of stepping into history, using the environment um, to help you become a part of the story um, so that you had a deeper understanding of, you know, all of the effects of of that particular story. And since then, um, museum exhibition design has Mm -hmm. evolved into something, you know, across science museum and cultural museums. And, you know, it's not just about history. Now this kind of immersive multidisciplinary approach to designing space has moved into many different industries. And so I did it for museums. I did that for, as as an interior designer, I did that for um, corporate clients. So we would do corporate exhibition centers where we were trying to tell the story of like GE um, or of a tech company. We were trying to tell their history in a way that became immersive. So it would support the sales teams that would come to headquarters, but it would also support, you know, partners or clients that they wanted to work with and getting them more deeply immersed into the story of the company. So there's lots of ways that this kind of Mm -hmm environmental storytelling played out. Um, but what happened, I did that for 10 years. And then I started to um, be the, the the face of the projects. They moved me sort of out of the design team because I was really good at supporting the marketing team to pitch to clients, mm-hmm. to help them tell stories to clients in a way that they very quickly understood. Um, because as you know, if you <laughs> if you can't tell a story or sell an idea, to a client, to a prospective, you know, buyer, to a faculty member, to anyone, you're trying to sell someone on an idea. If you can't get in front of them and tell that story in, I don't know, I'd say two minutes, one minute or less, you you lose them. 
<laughs> that timing depends on who you are and what you think. But I think it has to be really quickly and effectively told in a way that, you know, gets across an emotional story. It gets across an emotional p- imperative to them. You have to make it really relevant. And a lot of times what designers were doing when they were coming into either client presentations or coming to the marketing team to tell them the idea so that they could develop into the client was to say, okay, um, you know, we started with, and they would walk through this really, again, didactic presentation of the design, which didn't mean anything to anybody except for the design team, right? We <laughs> just simply wanted to talk to each other and impress each other with the things that we knew, but it didn't make sense to anybody outside of the design team. But I was able to kind of help the marketing team speak to the client, use the design language, use the design intention in a way that got got us business. No, I have to just stop you for a second though, because I'm smiling. No one can see me because I'm smiling because, you know, we don't do videos here because that requires hair and makeup. <laughs> and, you know, telling a story and using, using its pitch is one of my things. I'm actually working on a book that keeps changing the title. The latest one is Crafting the Pitch, a storytelling framework, because that is so critical. It's, you know, it's not always the best ideas that get sold, but it's the ones that have been presented the best. And I see it, I see it with my students. I've seen it with colleagues where, and we get so caught up in all the minutia because there's so much out there now in terms of tools that the story can get lost. So that's why I'm just, I'm, I can't stop smiling while you're talking. So please go I on. Hope this is a sort of double, um, double kind of way of reassuring people that in across uh, students, professionals, anyone mm-hmm. that your story, your ability to tell a story, your ability to um, bring people into your ideas is the only way you get them out there. Mm-hmm. I have seen throughout my career, so many beautiful design and designers, you know, fall behind because they can't Mm -hmm. communicate what it is that they're really out there trying to offer. And that's such a shame. And I thought the turning point for me was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, I love design. I, I think I'm good at design, but maybe what I need to be doing, what I'm really good at, and perhaps, you know, what I'm called to do, what my mission in this world is, is to help other designers get their stories out there to help their designs, you know, get in front of the people who need to see them. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And that was over 10 years ago. So I went back to school and I studied marketing. I really wanted to understand the principles. I was getting a lot of exposure through, you know, the workplace and working with different teams and mentors, but, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to have some fundamentals um, as a lifelong student. <laughs> I wanted to learn the principles so that I really, you know, can take that and adapt it for my industry, uh, which yeah. isn't and I'm flourishing. You're preaching to the choir on that one. I, I, I'm a life, I'm a lifelong learner. Anyone who thinks that they know it all is lying a hundred percent. And I do think it keeps you young. I think constantly seeing that there's something else being, staying curious and wanting to learn more is, is just, it's the secret. It's the secret sauce to staying young in my humble little opinion. You're right. Um, okay. So you specialize in home brands. Um, in case any of our listeners are not familiar with what that means, could you just talk about that because not everyone may be familiar with home brands. I am. And I actually wanted to, I, I'm going to backtrack for a second because when you were talking about a high point, I remember a period of time where I knew people that were picking up their furniture up here and then going down to high point to get it cheaper. <laughs> but that's a little, di- that's, a, that's a little digression. You can go, let's go back to um, what falls under home brands and your perspective. 
Home brands really are almost every single thing within your house. Like it's carpet, it's, um, you know, like I said, upholstery, which is seating, anything that's got sort of a fabric to it, your sofa, your dining chair, your side chair, your office chair, your tables, your shelves, like literally drapery, art, you know, the color on the walls, even, you know, how in some ways the systems, either acoustic systems or, you know, it lighting all and everything that encompasses. And we say home because essentially this is specifically for residential market. Um, there's other shows that cater to, you know, commercial design, which would be for hotels or restaurants. Um, but this particular high point is specifically for the residential home furnishings industry. So who comes, right, are obviously the brands that are selling these products, mostly to the trade. So it's a B2B business. Um, there's a lot of manufacturers, like I said, just from the history of North Carolina being so centrally located and you know, available for manufacturing furniture. Um, but so many manufacturers are still are returning to the US, which is fantastic. So they will come or they, you know, they will send their teams, um, their sales teams to North Carolina for this market. And then mostly also who comes, I would say, you know, the exhibitors are here and the exhibitors are the brands themselves that you may know um, as a consumer. Um, but most of the time, like I said, it's trade brands. And those mm -hmm. trade brands are selling to sometimes the retailers that you know, like, you know, CB2 or West Elm, sometimes, you know, Wayfair. They're all here. So, and there's a range of prices. There's a range of styles. Um, but a lot of the people who come to this particular market are interior designers. And they will, like you said, either come, you know, to buy perhaps for their own showrooms back in the market mm -hmm. where they are, or to buy specifically for projects that they have, um, you know, with their clients, they will come to get inspired. There's a lot of education that happens. So, you know, we're, we're always kind of teaching and, you know, about business in um, design because every single designer runs their business completely differently. There's no standard for service on how, you know, those businesses are run. So a lot of the education I do at market is around, communication and messaging and branding and marketing and how, you know, how to do that best as a designer to a client, but then also for the brands themselves, how, how, and what are the designers looking for and how do you mm -hmm. get out to them when they have, you know, a tremendous amount of, you know, diverse selections to choose from. So I work with both the brands, the sort of B2B side, and then I work mm -hmm. with designers while they're working directly with clients. Aha, uh aha. -huh, uh -huh. Okay. You know, and I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, is she really from North Carolina? Because I don't hit like hear like the <laughs> slightest little tinge. <laughs> Give me a glass of wine and put me and around my family or um, you know, a room full of other Southerners, and I it comes right out. Like honey. Yeah. <laughs> I I I I I I was told that I don't sound like I'm from New York unless I get angry. <laughs> and, and then it's like, okay, now yeah, I, I lived in DC for a while and my students, my students, my, um, my, uh, my sales team used to say to me, you know, you don't sound like it, but boy, when you get angry, it comes out for sure. <laughs> it's, it's definitely there. So when I was first approached about having you on the podcast, I went to your website, of course, and the first thing that popped up for me was this line that you said, get your story straight, which is probably why I said, of course, of course I have to meet this woman, um, which happens to be my favorite piece of advice to anyone. Yeah. And it's that book and that I wrote on, yes, I did it on, uh, you know, from the perspective of personal brands. So can you tell, talk a little bit more about that from your perspective and why you start there? Sure. So I think a lot of designers 
who are either sometimes solopreneurs, they're running their own firm by themselves. Mm-hmm. They're trying to scale. They have a very, you know, they have a limited staff. Um, or, you know, I do work with, I will, I will still consider them small businesses, but they have, you know, perhaps an internal marketing team. Um, they've, you know, been able to grow to 20, 20 or 30 people. That's usually around the size of kind of firms that I like to work with. Um, so what I do is sort of sit in between their internal marketing staff and their if they have you know scaled to a point where they can hire an agency to support them with marketing um what i do is help them make sure that every single part of any marketing message that's going out about their brand is consistent because a lot of times designers let's say there's a highway with 5 6 10 15 lanes and you're going to know this analogy but let's say you're you're running a business you have ownership of every single lane on the highway. You can, you can choose to take care of your accounting. You can do your own HR and your hiring, your own marketing, your own, um, you know, design, of course. But at a certain point, you, you run out of time, you run out of energy, you run out of expertise in those areas and you cannot, you need to stay in your lane of design. Um, so once you know, once someone running a business understands that, which which is a moment, right? Mm-hmm. A very small kind of business, you know, understanding that you have revenue and if you're able to delegate and trust to hire consultants, then that's when I'm when we're ready to work together. Um, you know, because there's a there's a point where it can become difficult to let go, especially mm-hmm. when it comes for designers or for yeah. Well, creating. design is design to me is art too. It's it's you know it, it's and you're dealing with artists and there's an ownership in there. And how is anyone going to really understand what my art is outside of me? I would imagine that would be one of your many your challenges. Or they've worked with someone in the past who doesn't have um, maybe more. They're more of a generalist, like an agent mm-hmm. that specializes in marketing or messaging even. Um, but they didn't understand the interior design business, or they didn't understand the home furnishings industry enough to be able to really, you know, provide the kind of strategy or business support that marketing is. I mean, marketing is, you have to be very involved in a particular business industry to understand how to give the right marketing support. Um, Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I've I've had clients who've approached me from wellness or healthcare, um, other industries, finance, and I have to say no, simply because it's too much of a learning curve for me to be Mm -hmm. able to be strategic and provide marketing support in those industries because I don't know them well enough. And I'm not going to (laughs) take, not going to educate myself on that to get kind of caught up. Well, no, and, and every industry has its, you know, it's unique. I mean, and, you know, if you want to expand, you do, but you have to learn it because, if every industry is that you have to approach your storytelling from a unique perspective, um, not to mention that there's, you know, you mentioned finance, there's rules and regulations about how you can brand yourself in, in that that's not really going to fall in. I do not think so um, into the home home brands. Um, I don't think there's too much in terms of regulations about what you can and what you can't say. So you kind of touched a little bit about your perspective and can you get a little bit more into why it's unique to brand storytelling though? What, sure. what that, that that aspect of it is. As you know, storytelling, you know this, storytelling is about, it's not about us. It's about the, the person you're trying to bring on board. And I say mm-hmm. that can be your ideal client, your target market, whatever it is, however you've, you're phrasing that. The story that you tell about your brand is about them. 
It's about what they are looking for, the value they are really going to you know, resonate most with on an emotional level. Um, the stories have to start there. So you really have to understand three things. I call it a, a an E3 framework. It's just a way I've, I've used the letter E, which is the same as Erica, so people don't forget. They really... <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's something that I want designers, it's something I want to try to under, get to them really quickly so that they understand what a storytelling framework might look like. It's also a business strategy, but the three things are, you know, the idea of defining what's extraordinary about you mm-hmm. uh, as a designer and as a business, um, an emotional connection, which we go very deep into all three of these, that that second E is, you know, how does your story make an emotional, you know, connect, connect to the person you're trying to connect to emotional connection. And the third is experience. So that is kind of more of a, a list of the ways that that journey that you'll figure out this narrative throughout the journey you'll take your client or customers on to get into your brand. So those, those are the three parts that I, I start with um, the extraordinary part is defining who they are. As as you know, um, you know, this is a very important part of storytelling. It's what makes you different. What mm-hmm. is that thing? It could be, um, you know, your past, your your culture, your history, your accreditations, your education, any degrees you have, other industries you may have worked in prior to. I say interior design, but a lot of people cross over. And very recently, in fact, COVID gave a lot of people permission to shift gears and move into, you know, a new career that they potentially had a passion for, but maybe they were trained in something else. So that makes you extraordinary in a way that I don't think a lot of business owners, and I won't just say designers, but business owners in general, people who start their own business or even come into a company, your background is so important. And it's so essential to define it as a story because it will give you the keys that will help you understand that, you know, if you don't have calibration with the people you are trying to attract to you, your clients or customers, that the, if you're not calibrated on those things, like if they can't appreciate your past experience or they, they're they not understanding of why those accreditations you have are important, the education, you're attracting, you know, there's the story isn't going to work. Um, so you have to define that for yourself first. And then from the second lens, you start to create an emotional connection with them. This is um, where the storytelling starts to really evolve. I, I look at this from a larger framework that I learned in working um, years and years and years ago um, with corporate clients where Let's say in the idea, I'm not the author of this particular type of research, but you will you will know it and recognize it. So the idea that an emotional connection is what you build with an audience that shows them through story who you are, that you really understand who they are and what's motivating them. And the way this comes about, um, and I will say I'm not the author of this type mm-hmm. of research. I've just kind of drawn it in and really narrowed it down for what works for interior designers to speak to the core motivations of their clients. So there's 16 of them in this sort of research that I'm pulling from um, that those 16 core emotions are what drive purchase decision for um, very kind of fast moving consumer goods. 
where a design service is not a fast moving good. It is a long and drawn out decision that can take place over months and perhaps years because it's quite expensive. It's an investment in time. And in some cases, if you're going to hire an interior designer, you are moving out of your home. You're, you know, making a transition with your family. There's a lot of, you know, well, so I the, think there. Yeah, I think what you're saying here is that there's an emotional. You know, this type of a of an industry. When you're talking about your home, there's an emotional connection there. And if it's a particular designer, then how are they presenting themselves so that they can make that? Because it's not just their art and what they're. If the chair, I'm just going to say that they've designed. It's their perspective. So there is a there is a very personal connection in there too. I'm going to buy this chair because it's in my home and I'm creating my home. So there's, there's that part of it, which I think I would think is a little bit more than you would, you know, I, I don't have any emotional connection to buying a tube of toothpaste. Personally, (laughs) I think there's too many choices these days and I can barely remember which brand of Colgate I got the last time when I'm standing there. It's like how many different types of toothpaste do we really need? But that's a whole other conversation. It is. But in fact, all of those brands have used emotion in their storytelling. Yes, it's true. To trigger you mm-hmm. into, you know, or influence your behavior into choosing one or the other. And that is the same thing that I try to get designers to understand is that, you know, you are a brand. Um, you know, you're more than just a business, right? You are a brand in that you're presenting something to someone that you want them to remember you by. Mm-hmm. If at the end of the day, someone is getting, you know, proposals from let's say three designers in their area and they're all maybe similar style approach. Um, They all have a similar price. Okay. But what is the thing that's going to make your proposal unforgettable and differentiated from those other two? You can't differentiate necessarily on style because for one, you know, there's many other people doing it, but also when the pendulum of style swings, you've got to rethink you know, your whole approach. You have to go back to that first kind of thing that makes you extraordinary, lean on that in your storytelling and do it in a, do it in a way that's emotional. So there's four um, that I've narrowed from that larger sort of canon of core emotions that drive our purchase decision because deciding to work with a designer or purchasing a chair, you know, it's, it's, it's a similar thing. Um, the first one is, do you want to hear them? Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So the first one is, um, a sense of belonging, right? Mm -hmm. If designers can create an emotional connection with a potential client where they are speaking to their sense of belonging in the home. This is really resonant with um, families, obviously people who are designing for families or for clients who realize that potentially their children are growing older and they want to make you know, a place for them that they're going to want to come back to after they leave home um, to visit more often or that they feel connected to that space because they feel like they belong there. The designer can really key into that emotion most designers are doing this anyway, but they're not talking about it, right? They're not mm-hmm. pulling the story forward. So that's one, um, to be seen and heard, which is mm-hmm. really not specific to the interior design industry, but it is when you think about the idea that a lot of times someone will say, you know, I really just want to come home and feel like it's me, mm-hmm. right? right? Exactly. That's such a big task for a designer to say, 
okay, (laughs) who are you and how do we do this? Right. But if a designer can really say like, here's an example of, of how a client might most hear that. Let's say they're a young professional and it's their very first home they've bought, their first apartment. They want to feel that they are validated in their home, in their space, in their apartment. So they hire a designer who can help them really bring that to life and I, you know, every designer will have a different process with this, but what's really, it's not really necessarily about them getting, you know, their first apartment. It's about making sure that when, when they come home and when friends come over, when they're maybe when their parents or their, you know, someone comes over, they see that they are established, right? They're successful. That idea of being seen and heard and using your space to kind of communicate that is something a designer can really help you with, but that's a message that, maybe a client can't really articulate, but that a designer through their marketing and their messaging can really help absolutely understand about themselves. Mm-hmm. I love that one. Um, the next one is that our life has purpose and meaning. Um, I see this a lot with architect clients that I work with. Um, this one is about leaving a legacy. This is for typically plays out in like second or third homes, um, homes where you might see them passed down from generation to generation. Um, and the design there is about communicating, um, you know, the, the heritage and the the legacy of family. And an, a designer can help with that as well, can, can help communicate and tell back those stories to the client in a way that they, again, may know unconscious, subconsciously, but not be able to really articulate. Um, and the last one I see a lot in product brands is the idea of wander and wander. So wonder with an O and wander with an A, the sense of discovery, the sense of, you know, uncovering something new about yourself in inside, like a micro experience, as opposed to like who you are in the bigger world, which is a macro experience. Um, and a lot of brands, especially product brands. And if you look at open up the next furniture catalog that you get that comes to your house or that you happen to pick up or see if you're waiting in, you know, a shopping line at the grocery store. And if if you see an ad for, um, and and actually this plays on a website and social media too, this Mm -hmm. messaging, the idea that like you, you can discover something new about yourself with this product, with this, you know, this new environment, this thing in your home. This is a story and a message that I see played out in beautiful ways across many different, you know, kind of places in, in this industry and in, in the home industry. So, um, but designers play on that too. Uh, and so that message really helps people kind of come into a story that then those stories are sort of easier to write. Mm-hmm. You have a, you have a, your own kind of roadmap for what to say. Um, if you can tie that back and this is what we help to do. If you can tie that back to that thing that makes you extraordinary, um, and then map it out as an experience, that's the three E's, right? Extraordinary, emotional, and experience. Uh, and that's what we help, um, home brands do and interior designers. I know the extraordinary part is always hard. It's certainly hard when I'm talking to people about personal brands because it's like, oh my God, there's nothing extraordinary about me, but I call it remarkability, but there is, we all have, we all have something in there. So let's just switch a little bit here to more general marketing, because one of the things that I read on the website, which I loved as well, was uh, while it's important to put the right narrative up 
about your brand on, say, an Instagram, we tell our clients that their website could be working harder for them than they think. Now, that really struck for me because I think a lot of brands forget that because we get so obsessed with social media and think that this is the core of all of our certainly digital marketing experiences. Yeah, your website. Can you, can you talk about that? Sure. Let your website do the heavy lifting. Like make sure if you are any kind of business, but especially, you know, designers or, you know, brands, anybody who's going to sell anything. Okay. People may go and vet you on social media. That that's happens. It sure does. <laughs> but your, <laughs> your website is, we won't go too much into SEO, but your website is what is going to, you know, be the face of your brand. It's, it's your, it's your window display. It's your, you know, the place where you can create um, some thought leadership through content that you put on there that won't necessarily read the same on social media and be completely missed. It allows you to capture email, which is a little bit more difficult to do on social media. And I know we could probably spend another hour talking just about email because I truly believe it's just as important as your website. Um, uh, but, I do too. But your website, you know, a lot of designers come to and say, oh no, my images are there. My portfolio is online. People can go and look at it. And I say, that's great, super it needs to be, but what are you saying? Like, what are the, are there words on there? <laughs> you know, the words don't just help with, again, SEO kind of organically, but they also like every single client you, you bring in to your, you know, awareness about your brand, mm -hmm. you're going to intake information in a very different way. You know, some will be visual, some will not. Some will be able to see an image of a kitchen and understand what you've done there from, you know, the full, like maybe you took it down to a full renovation to the studs. If you don't talk about that type of scope of work mm -hmm. with words um, and explain again, now I've created a place for the family to come. We have, you know, Sunday dinners here, whatever that kind of emotional side of that is, then how are you expecting people to understand or interpret that just from the image? So beautiful images are, are the baseline when it comes to having a website. You have to have an additional layer of really thoughtful, um, strategic copy on your site that works not just on the back end to kind of drive traffic with SEO, but also educates and inspires your clients to help you. And this will help you differentiate too, because if other designers are just focused on imagery, you and I say where other designers are focused on style, you'll be actually, you know, presenting substance. So it's your website is super, super important. No, I, I refer to it as your virtual storefront. Yes. And once <laughs> people get there, it's whatever you're doing, it should give you that, it should be a seamless feel if, if you do actually have a physical showroom or if you're a personal brand, certainly what's going to show up in person because it doesn't always, so they really get a, a sense of who you are and who the brand is. And again, you know, people get really obsessed with social media and it's just going to, the, I personally think that the website portion and things, old fashioned things like email marketing, who ever thought we'd call that old fashioned, are going to become more important as the social networks are going to continue to multiply. And you've got this whole thing with the third party cookie business, but that's a whole other conversation going away with Google. So it really, it, it is, it, to me, it's your virtual storefront. And if you don't have it, you know, you don't exist because someone's going to, that people are going to do that, especially I would imagine. For home, for home brands, I keep wanting saying home goods, but that's a whole store, but home brands, um, because 
you're doing research before you go in. You know, that's it's a big, it's a big decision. It's not, it's not, I'm not just buying a new lipstick, if for God's sakes, it's it's a big decision. And can cost you a lot of money depending on who you're working with. So big decision takes a lot of time. It's an investment. Of course. Yeah. 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 So um, I just want to skip over here because everyone's talking about the metaverse. And as I was doing my research, I thought, well, you know what I want to ask? I'm going to ask Erica about this because (laughs) I have a colleague who is all into the metaverse and, you know, I'm I don't want to say I'm not cynical, but I'm I have my usual healthy dose of skepticism where I do think <laughs> I do think that there's a place for it. I just don't want to live in it. Yeah, um, that's not my idea of of living a life, but I do think that there can be a place in it. So what do you think about that for for what you do? So there's you know, there are the the beginnings of conversations about this, and there are already designers and architects working exclusively in the metaverse, creating, um, you know, homes and mostly meeting kind of more meeting spaces. Mm -hmm. But I just, I've just, you know, returned also (laughs) from the vacation rental design summit, which we hosted here in high point where there was, um, a conversation happening about, um, a designer who has created sort of, um, uh, a preview of a vacation rental space um, for her client where, you know, you, you and your avatars, let's say your family, let's say you're going with your family and your family's dispersed around, you know, the U S you're all going to meet at this um, physical location. You rented this house in Colorado, let's say, Um, but you can all come there prior to your vacation together physically and meet in the metaverse and, you know, walk through the space, really kind of claim rooms, you know, understand like what you need to bring with you, stock up, you know, what's already there, get excited about the hot tub, get excited about the view, um, which I think this is actually pretty interesting. There's yeah, some I do. I agree. really strike my curiosity there. Um, I'm like you, though. I, is that a place I want to detach my physical self from and go live forever at <laughs> Never. <laughs> no, never it's no. I mean, well, obviously, you've got you know you're spending half of your time in France. I've I've been joking. I may not come back, but it, you know it's it's there's because we're at such a point now where we're so attached to all this technology. I mean, I don't know what it's like in High Point, but you walk down the street here, and I almost want to start yelling at everyone because they're slow in front of me with their heads in their phone. But I don't these days because the world's a little crazy and I'm afraid someone might have a knife or a gun. So I just try and bite my tongue. But people are so obsessed with it and they just it's you don't have to be getting off the subway and and have and continue to read your phone. Well, you know, I've got places to go and people to see. So I you know, that's kind of my own personal feeling on it. Yeah. And I, you know we could probably have a whole nother conversation too about AI, right? Like mm-hmm. like and you know what's happening with that which is interesting um but this technology is moving really fast and mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm definitely keeping an eye on it i'm i'm very curious to see like a year from now we'll be in a i assume we'll be in a completely different place at the speed things have been going over the last over the last year over the last six months especially um i don't see the progress in the metaverse moving as quickly no i don't um, either i don't but either i agree with you think AI is going to like change the conversation, especially for us um, in messaging and in marketing. Um, but 
you know, I'm excited. I, I we have to go with it. No, no, I, I actually, um, and I, I will put the um episode links in the show notes for this because they will, they both have already aired. But I did a, I wound up doing a part one and part two with Tim Rice, who is one of my colleagues who worked at Google for a number of years, talking about ChatGPT, and I have started to use it for creative prompts. So there is a place for it, and. My initial, I, my initial reaction was, "Hey, I, I write. Don't tell me that I'm going to, you know, be able to come up with copy." But it's, it's, it's interesting, and I found a couple of times where I was getting stuck, just having one of those creative blocks, and then just start asking its questions. And I didn't necessarily like the answers they were giving me, but it gave me that push. Yeah, you know, it, it gave me that push out. So I do think that there is a place for it. Um, I actually, one of the things I did with Tim, and that's in that episode, is um, I put my questions in ahead of time, and then I got crazy with it. So my last ones were about, you know, what should, how could I use ChatGPT for podcast interviews? But at the end of it, they're very polite to whatever it is. I don't know. It's not a he or a she, so I'm calling it a they. But very polite. Good question. You just asked. You know, that's kind of how they are. But they actually said at the end that, you know, don't you still need to have your basically they were giving me advice to say, you still need to get involved in this. You need to allow for organic conversation. You need to make sure that you're doing your own research apart from this. And I thought, well, is that like a legal disclaimer? Because that's my fear about it. And, and more so than how it might change. Because I, I do think there's a lot of things it can help us with. And God knows if it can if it can tell me that, you know, I have skin cancer or something horrible like that, knock on what I don't before I do that type of stuff. That's fantastic. That's, that's right. That, that really is life-changing, but we need, we need guardrails ahead of time, not yeah. after the fact, like we've done with social media. I agree. And so, I love these conversations. Thank you for having it. And I'm actually going to go and listen to those today because <laughs> I love the way, I love the way that you do interview guests. And I, you know, I thank think- you conversation is, is really important for, for everybody in every industry to be paying attention to. So. so I have one more question before, which kind of ties into what we're doing before I go into my little lightning round at the end here. So <laughs> uh, because, and it kind of ties in what we're talking about, marketing is moving so quickly these days. How do you keep up? Um, well, I have always, you know, I read a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, I read everything I can find. Um, I might, I'm not that person on the phone in front of you getting off the subway with, my <laughs> <laughs> but I also, you know, I'm always trying to, I, I love information. I love to kind of hear new points of view. I hear, I love to hear things that make me go, Oh, I never thought about it like that. I really enjoy that sort of aha moment of my, my own self. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, and What's so interesting about, you know, podcasts is that you can kind of search on any topic, um, whether you're on Apple or Spotify, I use mostly, you can search on whatever topic it is. And, and this is how you get exposed to like new people and new ideas. So that's great. Um, you know, obviously I, I subscribe to a lot of different um, news channels <laughs> on my phone just to get, you know, daily emails, to get headlines. And then I kind of dig in deeper on things that are interesting to me. But um you know, I also, I, I like to push people. I like to have conversations with my friends about, you know, what they're thinking about and what, what are you reading is one of my favorite questions. Like, just tell me what's, what are you thinking about right now? And, you know. Yeah, no, 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 no. I do the same thing. In, fa in fact, one of the things I was sharing with one of my classes recently was I'm finding that Axios is giving me 
things that are happening in marketing right now. And it's especially in the social media. It's like, okay. you know, I don't really get, I love Axios, but I don't get subscribed to them necessarily for that. But that's so much of the stuff. So what we do is kind of interwoven into everything. Yeah. So anyway, we could probably talk for forever, but I'd like to finish up with a quick lightning round of questions. So okay. can we start with what your favorite social network is? <laughs> I was going to say email. <laughs> not, it's not a social network, although it is a conversation. <laughs> um, you can I, answer however you would like. Yeah, I'm going to say that um, because I, I think you and I share common sentiment about social media in general. I, when I'm doing it, it's for my business. I'm in and, and then I'm out. So I have a love-hate relationship with it. Something people would never guess about you. I'm a twin. You're a twin? Two of me, yeah. I have a fraternal twin. Her name is, um, well, she's uh, she's fantastic. I won't disclose her identity, but you <laughs> <laughs> okay. and I are opposites. Like she's, um, she's, a, she's a doctor and she's- Oh, wow. And- and I was always into, you know, music and art. And so it's great. Last series you binged. Oh my gosh. Beef on Netflix. Run. I haven't watched it yet. Oh my gosh. It is the end of the first couple episodes. I thought, okay, I, you know, I get what this is about. No, every episode is its own universe of, of discovery. It's, it's a beautiful show. It's well, wow. Everything about it is well done. My favorite part, in fact, one of the things I can't stop thinking about is the soundtrack, like the way they've used music. It's got this like 90s, like early 2000s kind of angsty soundtrack of these very kind of songs that you wouldn't, you haven't heard in a very long time, but that take you back. They put you back in the story. And they used to use a lot of kind of imagery and specific, um, you know, icons. It's, it's extremely good. I would say it's probably That's the what best. I heard. That's what I heard. So I got to add it to the list now. Food yeah. you cannot live without. Pickles, 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 pickles of any kind. Pickled everything. Here in the South, we pickle okra, which is amazing. Um, pickled beans, pickles, you know. Yeah, that sounds like a very Southern thing. It is. Um, <laughs> what you miss most about pre-COVID life? Um, I am, grew up, I'm a shy introvert. And I, you know, looking back on COVID, I think what I miss most, you know, what I thought I would miss would being alone, you know, or being kind of captive <laughs> without going to the office, um, would that would be okay with me. But in fact, it's not. Um, so, you know, what I miss about pre-COVID life, which we have now again. In fact, um, I think we're kind of hopefully getting back to this sense of connection. Mm-hmm. Events are so important. Like how you read a room to me, you know, I read people's body language. I read, I don't know, energy if without sounding too woo-woo. I think- Oh, you, no, you, I do the same thing. You know, it's not, maybe to, some of the listeners may think it's too woo-woo, but I'm all about <laughs> energy. I'm all about- um, I have good instincts on it. I just didn't realize it took me a long time before I realized that Did COVID help you figure it out that without no I, no, I knew it before I knew it before then. But I do I don't joke about the COVID thing is that I've always liked my time alone, but I wasn't so in my own company. But during COVID, I was kind of starting to question it a little bit. <laughs> it's like, you know, I like I like my own company, but I don't know how much I do anymore. <laughs> it just was, you know, because it was just too much. It was too much. Yeah. Um, and what motivates you to get up in the morning? To be inspired, to stay inspired. Um, 
to uh, learn and to grow. And I guess that's just sort of realizing like every day is a new day. Every day is a new start. And you can think about that again from a micro level to a, like a big <laughs> macro, like every single day is a new day to start over, to try again. Well, that is a delightful way to wrap this up. So I will put all this in the show notes, but do you want to tell people where they can find you and follow my website. you? <laughs> <laughs> Go straight to my website. Um, there's tons of information there. Um, it's S-A-U-R-I-T creative, saritcreative.com. And um, I am also on Instagram at Sarit Creative, same same handle. And um, yeah, you can reach out to me and ask me anything about the home industry or interior design um, or High Point in general. If you if you want to come to High Point Market, let, let me know. I'd be happy to send you more information. Uh, yeah. And I'm just, I'm so excited that we got a chance to talk, Joanne. No, this was terrific. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.